0: Good evening, everyone. Happy Friday. We begin the readout tonight with an exercise. Now, imagine for a moment that you had to go into the office every day, fearing that your coworker tried to have you killed, that this coworker liked comments on their social media calling for your boss to be executed by putting a bullet through her head, and that your other coworkers broadcast lies for months that put you and your family at risk of harassment, infection, even death. Wouldn't that be like a massive priority for your company's HR department? A conflict management issue of, say, epic proportions? All of those examples are happening right now to members of Congress, and nothing is being done about it. Certainly not by the one person whose literal job it is to manage his party's caucus, where one Republican House member is quickly becoming the ultimate toxic employee. Instead, that pinwear Republican who is a promoter of the QAnon cult now sits on the, House edu- on the House Education Committee, despite having publicly claimed that school massacres are staged. And I, I can't believe that I'm actually about to say this, but we have now learned that this same toxic Congresswoman also believes that laser beams from outer space ignited California's deadliest ever wildfire. Laser beams from outer space! But here's the thing. Maybe, just maybe, Marjorie Q. Green isn't the Republican outlier that some imagine that she is. Maybe she's more representative of the Republican caucus than anyone in the party would like for you to think. Remember, a majority of House Republicans, a majority, as well as six senators, voted to try to overturn President Biden's victory, and that's after the mob stormed the Capitol. Again, imagine if this was your workplace. Would the hiring of a known racist, anti-Semitic Islamophobe be admissible under your company's commitment to anti-racism? Would your company's anti-harassment policy stand for any employee berating another employee while not wearing a mask? Would any of this be okay where you work? So why is it okay for Congress? Joining me now is... Congresswoman Cory Bush of Missouri uh, and Congresswoman, thank you so much for being here. You have been all the talk today because of this confrontation between yourself and Marjorie Green. Um, you're now moving your office away from hers. Please explain why.
1: Yeah. So first of all, thank you for what you just said. You know, it is unbelievable that this is how, um, so many of us get to go to work every day when, you know, I've worked fast food, I've worked in, in childcare, I've worked in healthcare. I've never been in a work environment like this before. Um, and you know, one day I was, it was, um, We were just walking down the hallway through the tunnel, headed to go and vote. And I'm hearing this loud talking behind this loud talking in the hallway. But I kept going. It didn't. It was no big deal. Um, All of a sudden, as I'm walking down the down the tunnel, I'm hearing it, the voice get louder and louder. And then the voice was closer and closer. And then at one point I realized that it was like right behind me. And so I turned around because now it, because it was aggressive and it was loud. And I'm like, what, why is this like right behind me? And so I turned around and it was Marjorie Taylor green without a mask on. And so, um, and so I looked and I'm like, you know, so I turned back around. I didn't say anything at first. I I looked at my team and I'm like, she does not have on a mask. Like, let's just keep walking. And then I thought About it, like you're putting me at risk. You're putting my team at risk. Everybody else in this tunnel is at risk. And just the day before, we found out that our that um our colleagues were uh, had contracted COVID after being on lockdown with this same person and other people who were unmasked. And so, no, I'm a nurse. I take care of my community. I take care of my people. You will not put our put us at risk like that. And so, I moved out of the way. I saw my good brother John Bowman walking down the hall. I moved out of the way to let her pass. And as she's I'm like, I'm like, you know, look, she still, she does not have on a mask. And so I said, put on a mask. And then she started to, you know, go off some more. She's on her phone. She's like live streaming. And my, my point with that, uh, Joy, was that she had the audacity to be walking through this space on her phone, showing people that she was bucking the system, showing people that she was not going to um, to adhere to the rules of the house. And so I wanted to, it to be on her live stream that we are saying, put your mask on. And then her team turned around and her too, but then her team is yelling, stop inciting, you know, stop inciting violence with Black Lives Matter. What does Black Lives Matter have to do with this? Put on a mask and save lives. Yeah.
0: And, and I just want to point out to the audience that, um, on January 12th, um, the, the House leadership, the Speaker announced there is a mandate that, um, on the floor of the House, all members must wear a mask. What was the policy as of when, as you were walking through? Was it, was it, I mean, as you said, you had just known that several members had been diagnosed with COVID after locking down on January 6th with Republicans who refused to wear masks. I want to show some video actually because Marjorie Taylor Greene was actually one of the people who was mocking Congresswomen, a uh, Congresswoman, Lisa Blunt Rochester, who was trying to give them masks. And she mocked. She was mocking them. This is while they were being locked down. This is not the video that I'm showing. Sorry, this is it's cut two that I wanted to show. So we'll pull that one back for a second because I am going to show that one. There it is. There it is. Um, and there she is mocking other members. So at the time that you were conf- confronted by her or she's yelling in the hallway, wasn't it generally accepted that people should be wearing masks in the
1: tunnel? Yes, yes, we're supposed to wear masks, but the fine, I believe the fine for not wearing the mask house floor. But in, in gotcha. the entire okay. house, we're so,
0: gotcha. So now she um went on Twitter. Um, When uh, my colleague Tiffany Cross tweeted at her that she maybe want to go on the Cross Connection, which is Tiffany's show, which airs tomorrow, and explain herself, she then accused you of lying about uh, the interaction and she posted a piece of video. Now, I want to just for the audience let you know that, you know, we're not playing the full video because before the part we're showing, she's ranting and raving about Black Lives Matter, um, about, about you, about members of Black Lives Matter being a part of Congress. And then this happened. So here she is. This is the video you describe, where we only see her face because she's live streaming, showing her own face as she's walking. You can see she doesn't have a mask on. And here's what she says.
2: Then they supported uh, bail bond links, bail bond links for criminals.
1: You know
2: what?
3: Yeah, don't yell at people. You know what? You shouldn't bring COVID positive members in here, spreading COVID everywhere. Stop being a hypocrite. Yeah, this is
0: how it is here now. She, she is claiming that that disproves
1: your account. What is your reaction? It actually it actually says exactly what I said She was walking behind me directly behind me, you know, and she's yelling into the phone directly behind me I moved out of the way because now you're now you're a threat You know, you're a threat to me and then you won't you don't have on a mask You don't care enough about us to put on a mask So I said now now mind you by the time you heard my voice she was further down the tunnel and we're in a tunnel. So, of course, it's, it's, it's yeah. echoing but you could Hear, but you could hear me saying put on a mask. And what happened? She put on a mask. But I was not. And let me say this too: mm-hmm. where here of staff, team members of Congress members yelling at other Congress members. Where did you hear that happen at? That doesn't happen. And for her to turn this around to be a Black Lives Matter issue, that's not what it was you should care enough about your colleagues. And if you don't believe in that, if you don't believe that we should have safety, if you don't believe that that this is a true health crisis where 400,000 people in this country have lost their lives, if you won't, if you will not, Honor that and respect those families and respect the people in your community. 70, Seven hundred and fifty thousand that you are supposed to protect, that you are supposed to serve and represent. If you won't do that, then let go of this job. It is not for you. And she can say whatever she wants to say. But the thing is, she did not have on a mask in that tunnel. And I absolutely spoke up. And it's not just about her joy. This is anybody, any Congress member who will not wear a mask. I'm going to speak up. Lisa, Lisa Blunt Rochester spoke up as many of us. We will speak up and not just about that. We don't want you bringing your guns on the House floor. We don't want you bringing your guns into your office. We don't want you to just to um, evade uh, security and, um, and try to run through the metal detectors. No, abide by the rules so that we can do our jobs to take care of our communities. We moved our office joy not because I'm scared of her like not because I think that like I can't like you know what I mean like like I'm oh my gosh oh, I'm so that's not why I moved my office I moved my office because I am here to do a job for the people of St. Louis they deserve that and what I cannot do is continue to look over my shoulder wondering if a white supremacist in Congress by her, by the name of Marjorie Taylor Greene or anyone else, because there are others that they are doing something or conspiring against us. Our focus has to be on St. Louis and the work that we can get done. And also my team deserves better. They should not have to come to to work and have to wonder if that door is going to open that does not have a people that that door is going to open. And it's somebody that does not want to do them well.
0: Congresswoman Cori Bush um, very eloquently said, I think at any workplace, people would want that just as a minimum condition to go to work every day. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this evening. Please stay safe and thank you. And uh, I want to now bring in Tim Miller, um, who's a writer at large at The Bulwark and MSNBC counterterrorism and intelligence analyst Malcolm Nance. And I mean, this is this is serious. You know, Tim, I'm going to start with you. You have members of Congress. You just heard the Congresswoman speak. That her staff and she have to worry that on the other side of the door with no peephole on it could be somebody who is a member of Congress who might be armed, who has made very vocal statements um, against black people, against Black Lives Matter, who has an issue that she was ranting about Black Lives Matter as Marjorie Green is walking down that hallway. She has a fixation, a negative fixation on Black Lives Matter. And Cori Bush was a Black Lives Matter activist before she was a member of Congress. I don't understand how Ms. Green is still a congresswoman. Do you?
4: Look, I, I thought what Congresswoman Bush, uh, you know, said was right on. I, look, this is the, this is the reality, Joy. Marjorie Taylor Green and Lauren Boebert and a number of other members of the House Caucus, Mo Brooks, were on the side of the domestic terrorists. Uh, there have been a lot of other Republicans, and we can talk about this, who, who have been basically coup neutral. But, but when it comes to Marjorie Taylor Greene, she was on the side of the domestic terrorist that stormed the Capitol. Uh, and, and, and this is not something that we have a precedent for in, in modern America. Right. And so, you know, I, I think that it is absolutely appropriate for Congresswoman Bush to be concerned about that. And why is, is she still in Congress? Well, it's because the Republican leadership. Uh, doesn't have the courage to stand up to her because they think that their base is on her side and and they're probably right about that. And look, I think the most telling thing that happened this week, Joy, was that Matt Gates flew to Wyoming to chastise Liz Cheney, not because of her positions on any policy issues, but because she was willing to say no to the domestic terrorists of the insurrectionists. Meanwhile, not a single House Republican uh, has said anything about Marjorie Taylor Greene or, or flown down to Georgia or talked about how we need to get rid of her, or talked about how we need to expel her, or kick her out of committees. I think that tells you exactly where the caucus is right now.
0: And to that point, let's just play really quickly. This is Matt Gates, and this is a rally that he did. And it's shocking to me that anyone, Malcolm, would do a rally like this after what we saw on the 6th, inciting people and naming the names of the people that he wants the crowd to invade against. Take a listen.
5: Leadership doesn't mean backing a Nancy Pelosi-fueled uh, impeachment by Reflex. You can help me break a corrupt system. You can send a representative who actually represents you. And you can send Liz Cheney home.
0: Malcolm, you wrote in a really great piece in The Washington Post that we're not taking seriously the idea that we have an insurgency on our hands that's embedded within the Republican mm-hmm. Party. You wrote the insurgents' goal is to make existing governments seem powerless, feckless and incapable of protecting the common citizen and then exploiting that vacuum to seize political power. That sounds to me like what the QAnon folks and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates believe in. How concerned are you that this that these people are an actual insurgency, like what we see in places like Iraq?
5: Well, you know, I I mentioned this on Bill Maher's show back in November, right after the election, that we were looking at the face of insurgency. And after the election, we saw their strategy, which was to completely discredit the entirety of the election, mobilize their people, and create a false narrative, a false reality that led to a full-scale attack On the United States Capitol, these people were not there just to protest and to show their support for Donald Trump. They fully intended to stop the certification of the election. And we, you know, I mentioned this on this show before that there were likely assassination teams, what we would call a murder cell, within that group. And we're finding the FBI is charging people for that very conspiracy. They intended to go in, find, and kill uh, high-value personages like Nancy Pelosi and AOC. Um, this is not the end of this. What we've seen happen is only the beginning of what will be a long-term series of insurrections. Matt Gates' speech was him recentering centering the, the body of conservatism to show that old-school conservatism, Lynn Cheney, they're done they're done forever. It is now the war party of Donald Trump. And all they're doing is waiting for Trump to talk. We're going to have a multi-year problem. You know, it could go as, uh, you know, it could be as bad as Northern Ireland. Who knows?
0: And, you know, Tim, the, the, the thing is, is that there's been so many warnings, right? You can go all the way back to the Timothy McVeigh era when Bill Clinton was president. Surprise, the Democratic mm-hmm. president. You've had the national, uh, the, the NARAL, points out that some of the same people that were part of that insurrectionist mob have popped up uh, at vehement sort of, uh, you know, quasi-violent anti-abortion um, protests as well, that they're part of that movement as well. And I want to play for you a gentleman named Alan West. This is the kind of, co- of, of talk that we heard from a member of Congress, Alan West, from the state of Florida, back when President Obama was elected. This is in
5: 2009. If you're here to stand up, to get your musket, to fix your bayonet, and to charge into the ranks, you are my brother and sister in this fight. You need to leave here understanding one simple word. That word is bayonets.
0: And I remember because I was covering uh, Florida politics at the time, Tim, and he would say this all the time. And this was not considered remarkable speech in the Republican Party. He's talking about bayonets and muskets and march on the Capitol. That was then. He then loses ultimately to a Democrat. But that has existed for a while in the party. You know,
4: this kind of talk. Now he's the chairman of the Texas Republican Party, Joe. I don't know if you knew that, but he's moved. He's moved uh, across there the south go. a little bit, so he's not. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's mm. talking about secession now. Uh, look, uh, I, I think that yes, you know, you can point signs of this going back all the way to the Tea Party, uh, but I, I think really the the bright red flashing warning signs. You know, when Donald Trump was running in 2016, when he said, you know, he'd cover the legal bills. For his fans, if they beat up protesters at his rallies, and then you have the domestic terror in El Paso, you have Caesar Sayoc, the bombs that he sent. Thank goodness they didn't go off the mail bombs. Um, uh, the, the Gretchen Whitmer uh, attempts to uh, to capture and assassinate her. Um, so there were so many warning signs in the Trump era where, where this where it wasn't just where it had moved from the area of rhetoric to action. And, and so uh, hmm. none of those things were wake up calls for people in, in the House or in the Senate in the Republican caucus. You would have thought when it came to their house that they would have had a wake up call. And it seemed like there might have been for like 24 hours. Some of them were a little bit shook. Right. Mitch McConnell was talking differently. But here we are three weeks later and it's like business as usual again. And, and so I, I agree with no. Malcolm uh, on, the, on the point that why, there's no reason to believe that this will stop if nothing changes uh, in, in the way that uh, that Republican officials are dealing with these insurrections.
0: And we know now that Kevin McCarthy was warned. Great Axios reporting on that. They did nothing to stop it. Now it's in the House. Uh, T- Tim Miller, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Malcolm Nance is going to be back Later in the show and up next on The Readout, journalist and author Charles Blow joins me on how white nationalism and QAnon extremism went mainstream in the Republican Party, as we just discussed, and what that growing threat means for Black America. Plus, new COVID concerns, mutating strains look ominous. But, but there is hope with new vaccines on the way.
5: Over the last 24 hours, there have been the announcements of two other trials, and the results really are very encouraging.
0: Back with more The Readout after this. It should come as no surprise that the goal of the Capitol insurrectionists was to exert their perceived white privilege to try to overturn the will of millions and millions of voters, specifically of black voters. It's a battle black and brown voters have had to wage ever since our right to vote was affirmed. But what's especially troubling is how common the rhetoric has become from elected officials fanning the flames of these far-right groups.
5: When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people
3: the generations of black and Hispanic men, do you want to know what holds them down? Gangs. Being in gangs and dealing drugs is what holds them down. The gangs are holding them back. It's not white people.
2: All of these people trying to force their way in, it's called an invasion. We have to study
5: the history of slavery and its role and impacts on the development of our country, because otherwise we can't understand our country. Um, as the founding father said, it was the necessary evil
3: upon which the union was built.
2: I care about everybody. If you're a young African-American, a, an immigrant, you can go anywhere in this state. You just need to be conservative, not liberal.
0: <laughs> the 2020 election ushered in not only the first female vice president, but the first black and the first Asian-American in that role. And New York Times columnist Charles Blow describes in his new book how moments of social advancement for Black Americans nearly always coincide with white backlash. Emancipation in the Civil War gave rise to the KKK, which formed just months after the war ended. The Supreme Court's decision in Brown versus the Board of Education striking down racial segregation in schools gave rise to the white supremacist citizens councils. The election of the first black president gave rise to the Tea Party, which was formed soon after Barack Obama was sworn in. And joining me now is Charles Blow, New York Times columnist and author of the new book, The Devil You Know, A Black Power Manifesto. Charles, I am so excited to talk with you. You're one of my favorite writers, um, favorite columnists, and your books are amazing. So I am, I am partway through um, this wonderful book, um, The Devil You Know. Talk a little bit about, we were just talking with, of course, uh, we were just talking with Congresswoman Corey Bush about having to go to work in fear. As she said, not necessarily because she's afraid of this one individual person, but that her, the movement that this fellow congressperson represents is hateful toward Black people, hateful toward Black Lives Matter, and fixated on it. From your point of view, where are we in this country?
6: It, it feels like we're stuck in a groundhog day of racial oppression in this country, that, that every now and then the groundhog pops its head back up, uh, and never having really truly gone away. Uh there, there is hard to find a period where this this uh, hatefulness doesn't resurrect itself, where white supremacy doesn't react violently to change. This is a fixture of American society. And we keep, you know, well, not we, but people keep trying to make an excuse for it, blame it on something else, say that now, you know, there's some economic anxiety at some point or uh, now uh, you know the the uh, there's anxiety about displacement at at the ballot box white supremacy yeah. will and, not and I, 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 to-
0: I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you go
6: on I was done
0: Oh, well, I want to show you. Let me show you this picture, because this is one of the most galling images of the the siege, which the one six siege to me is is like 9-11 and that we should never let it go. This is a picture of somebody carrying a Confederate flag into our capital, something that didn't even manage to get done during the Civil War. They managed to fly the Confederate flag inside of our capital proudly, didn't even bother to put a sheet on, openly do that. So if we're are we in some senses still in. The aftermath of the Civil War—it almost feels like the Civil War is like the, the the war in between North and South Korea. That it's an armistice that it didn't even end in a lot of ways.
6: Well, the, uh, white supremacists has been trying to win it back ever since. There's one historian said that we lost the the that the South lost the Civil War in uh, 1865, but then they won it in 1890 because that's when the South called all these. Um, constitutional conventions to write white supremacy literally into the code and DNA of those states. And as soon as that got knocked down with the civil, uh, with the civil rights movement, they it re erects itself in a more elegant form, a different form. That's the that's the idea. Like you it keeps coming back because it's never going anywhere. You know that that is the part of the whole discussion that we don't grasp. It's never going anywhere. And you have to deal with it as a thing that cannot be compromised with it cannot be placated, it cannot be assuaged. You have to crush white supremacy. That is the only way you're gonna be able to deal with it because we've been trying to coax it and cajole it for 150 years after slavery.
0: And your your book is subtitled A Black Power Manifesto. Because and I, and I think it's important that you include that subtitle, because as this white supremacist monster has continued to thrive like the movie like the alien in the, mo- in the alien series of movies black people have actually managed to acquire real power S- in small ways i mean there have only been 11 black united states senators you know what I mean? it's not like in huge ways but g- managing to claw power out of this system so what do we do in this moment um in terms of how we exercise it in terms of how we grow it in this system as it is
6: so what, right now we have mostly municipal power. So there are 1,200 all uh, majority of black cities in America. Ninety percent of them are in the South, by the way. Uh, but we don't have a lot of state power, power. But Georgia is a window into how that can be achieved. You just mentioned we've had uh, I think uh, I think it's now 11 black senators in the history of America. All of them before Warnock were elected by coalitions led by somebody other than black people. Warnock is the first black senator in which the, the, co- the major part of the coalition who elected him, the majority of it was black people. And that is a, that is a, a, a real shift. It is a seismic shift in understanding how power can be exerted. You know and that is partly because of the reverse migration. you know, in, in 1990, There were only 1.7 million Black people in Georgia. It has doubled. Mm. In 2020, it was 3.4 plus million Black people in Georgia. If you want to be able to elect who you want in on a statewide level and exert some state power, that is required.
0: And we're seeing already the backlash to that. We started off this conversation talking about backlash. We're already seeing bills going up, popping up all across the country, including in Georgia, in Arizona, et cetera, trying to claw back the ability of the voters' decisions to actually be mandated in the end. Uh, Are you more hopeful um, or do you see more peril ahead of us in the short term politically?
6: This is what is going to happen. Uh, People do not relinquish power easily. Absolutely systems built on white supremacy will not relinquish power easily. They would this is an existential threat to white supremacy. They will do everything they possibly can to maintain that power. But you have to, if you are interested in acquiring that power, you have to be just as resilient, just as diligent, have just as much steadfastness to uh, steadfastness to hold on and to stay in that game and to stay in that fight. This is a revolutionary act. Indeed. Indeed,
0: indeed, indeed. Charles Blow, um, every column you write, I wish I'd written it. (laughs) This book is fantastic. And thank you so much for being on to talk about it. Um, Really appreciate you, sir. Be safe and be well. Okay, thank you so much. And cheers. Today, by the way, on his way to visit wounded soldiers at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, President Biden stressed the need for coronavirus relief with or without Republican support.
5: I support passing COVID relief with support from Republicans, if we can get it. But the COVID relief has to pass. There's no ifs, ands, or buts.
0: We will have more on the coronavirus, including the news that a third vaccine could be coming very soon. Don't go anywhere. We'll talk about that after after the break. There is good news today from pharmaceutical company Johnson & Johnson, which announced that its vaccine trial was 72% effective in preventing moderate to severe cases of the coronavirus. The vaccine, unlike two, the two currently available, can be administered fully in one dose instead of two, and it doesn't have to be frozen. The company plans to ask the FDA for authorization as soon as next week. But the company says, though, it was less effective against the highly contagious South African variant of COVID-19, which is currently spreading inside the United States. Both Pfizer and Moderna have also said their vaccine is less effective against this particular strain of the virus. In a briefing today, Dr. Fauci called the news a wake up call.
5: This is a wake up call to all of us that we will be dealing as the virus uses its devices to evade pressure particularly immunological pressure, that we will continue to see the evolution of mutants. This all tells us that it is an incentive to do what we've been saying all along, to vaccinate as many people as we can as quickly as we possibly can.
0: Joining me now is Dr. Celine Gounder, former Biden transition COVID advisor and an infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist at NYU and Bellevue Hospital. And Dr. Gounder, so just to set the stage here, 25.9 million um, cases, 437,000 deaths. I almost gag reading these numbers every time. And now on top of all of that death. We have this new variant. Um, Dr. Ashish Jha tweeted the following. Imagine this. Some nations are largely vaccinated, but outbreaks are surging everywhere. What might happen? We might see a rise of variants that eventually escape the vaccines, requiring us to update our vaccines and vaccinate everyone. Again, it's a nightmare scenario of a never-ending pandemic. Uh, This scares me because this variant seems like it is really scary. Do you think that this new Johnson & Johnson news means that we can fight this new variant or or is it still working on the old version?
2: Look, the most important thing we can do to stop the rise of variants is to stop transmission of the virus. Every time the virus moves from one person to another, it is given the opportunity to mutate and for new variants to emerge. There is a reason that the countries from which uh, we've seen variants emerge, the United Kingdom, South Africa, Brazil, these are countries that didn't do as good of a job controlling the virus. They allowed the virus to spread like wildfire through its population. And that is why we've seen uh, some of these new variants emerge from there, not from countries like South Korea or Vietnam, uh, Japan and some of the other Southeast Asian countries that really did a very good job of controlling the infection. So we need to be using all the tools at our disposal, whether that's vaccines or the masking and social distancing and all the things we've done over the last several months.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I And I've been just saying that I feel like the, the, the coronavirus is like the alien and aliens and like you guys are like Ripley, like we're and every time that it jumps into one person's body, it jumps out as like a whole different kind of alien. So let's talk about how we stop it. Apparently, the U.S. didn't do a good job of sequencing what they call this new variant. So does that mean that it might have been here longer and we just didn't know it was there?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a great example of massive underinvestment in public health over decades. This is technology that was at our disposal. The U.K., for example, uses it routinely to look for variants. We were not doing so. We were doing a handful uh, from every state over the last several months. Uh, That's not nearly enough. And so to really stay ahead of something like this, you need to be doing the testing. And that means investing in public health, investing in the labs, investing in the bioinformatics necessary to Analyze these variants and, and figure out how to move forward.
0: And that means we're doomed because we don't have a nat- we don't even have a national health system. Um, let's talk about the Johnson and Johnson um, efficacy of that that uh, version of the vaccine. It seems great because it's only one shot, right? But uh, I think it's what's alarming a lot of people is when they say it's only 72 percent successful in the U.S. at preventing moderate severe disease, um, but it's only 57 percent effective in South Africa where the variant comes from. I, I didn't realize that the flu virus is only about like 50 percent um, effective, too, right? So is 72 percent good news,
2: I guess it really depends on what is it you're focused on. Are you focused on not getting coronavirus at all, or are you focused on preventing hospitalization and death from COVID? The Johnson & Johnson vaccine was 100% effective in preventing death. So no, it may not Mm. prevent that cough from COVID, but if it prevents the, the death, if it saves your life, to me, that is a tool worth having. That, is, that, that will be 100
0: percent good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Celine Gounder, thank you for that clarification. Really appreciate that. Stay safe. Up next, uh, apparently Republicans, thank you, uh, apparently Republicans need a reminder of what happens when you start to tear down the framework of democracy. Well, we've got that covered. Stay with us. The regime in Russia is bracing for another weekend of protests over the detention of Alexander Navalny, the anti-corruption activist and chief opposition leader to Vladimir Putin. Navalny was arrested this month upon returning to Russia from Germany, where he was recovering from being poisoned. And the use of a Soviet-era nerve agent left little doubt that the Kremlin was responsible. Now, with his chief rival behind bars, Putin is cracking down on the pro-democracy protesters who are pushing for Navalny's release, literally trying to snuff out the opposition. After all, Putin has plans to remain in power until 2036, thanks to a fraudulent referendum last July. It's the kind of behavior you'd expect from the man who ended Russia's brief flirtation with democracy. But it's also a playbook that the former president of this country tried to replicate during his four years in office. He tried to lock up his opponents, encouraged officials to fabricate votes, and attempted to steal an election. The orange one's envy of Putin is one of the reasons he was so solicitous toward Russia, despite their flagrant attacks on our voting system, coincidentally to benefit him. And that brings us to a young former Air Force specialist, reality winner, who leaked proof of Russia's malign activity in this country back in 2017. That leak was intended to expose the Kremlin and bolster U.S. security, but her identity wasn't protected by the very news outlet she entrusted with that message. And we're gonna shine a spotlight on her case next. In 2017, Reality Winner was a 25 year old Air Force veteran working as an NSA contractor when she leaked some of the earliest evidence of Russia's attack on our voting system. She printed out a classified NSA report confirming that Russian hackers had targeted an election software company and 122 election officials. And she sent it to the news outlet, The Intercept. That leak served as a warning about the vulnerability of our voting system something that even the Department of Homeland Security was slow to acknowledge at the time. But Winner was quickly arrested, thanks in large part to the carelessness of the reporters at The Intercept, who failed to protect her identity as their source. As the New York Times details, the lead reporter on the story sent a copy of the document, which contained a crease showing it had been printed out to the NSA, media affairs office, all but identifying Ms. Winner as the leaker. Winner ultimately pleaded guilty in 2018 as is still serving a sentence of over five years. That's the longest ever sentence imposed in federal court for an unauthorized release of government information to the media, according to prosecutors. Winner is languishing in prison, while figures like Edward Snowden have become the darlings of civil libertarians. Her petition for clemency was overlooked by the former president, who went on to pardon his cronies convicted in the Russia probe. Now, Ms. Winner's mother is pinning her hopes on the new president as the Biden administration takes a harder line toward Russia. Joining me now is reality Winner's mom, Billy Winner Davis. And back with me is Malcolm Nance, U.S. intelligence expert, intelligence expert. And Ms. Winner Davis, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's been a long road trying to get to this interview to happen. So thank you for being so flexible with us as breaking news overturned our previous attempts to do this. Talk to me about reality. Yeah. What, is, what did she? What was her goal in your mind? Um, and, do, and, and do you think that she was treated the way other leakers have been in the past? Put it that way.
3: So, so first of all, thank you so much, Joy, for having me on. It is such an honor. I'm, I'm truly grateful. I, I believe that my daughter. Sure. First of all, my daughter and I have never ever had a conversation with regard to why she did, why she did this, why she released this vital piece of information. But knowing my daughter and looking at her social media posts and the interrogation that the FBI did with her, you know, my daughter believed that Trump was the very worst thing that could ever happen to America for many reasons, as, as a lot of us. And here my daughter was torn with hearing the lies that this administration was telling the American people trying to say that the Russian investigation was all a hoax. And my daughter had a piece of evidence right in front of her. And she needed this to get out to the American people. And no one else was releasing it. And she took it upon herself to do it for, you know, do it for us.
0: Do you think that she went to this particular news outlet because it had been involved in the past in issues like the Edward Snowden case? Did she think that that was a sympathetic outlet for her? And what do you make of what happened as a result of that same news outlet not really concealing her identity?
3: Yeah, I'm not really sure about why reality uh, went to the intercept. I know that, you know, anybody in NSA is you know warned about edward snowden and i know that there's a natural curiosity to go there um you know go to the intercept and so i really don't know that piece of it and i i do realize that mistakes were made mistakes were made both by the intercept and by by my daughter that led the fbi straight to her door but i can't blame The Intercept for what's happened to my daughter. I blame Trump and I blame Trump's DOJ for what's happened to my daughter. They're the ones who arrested her, who denied her bail, who have persecuted her under the Espionage Act, who have denied her compassionate release, and who have made sure that she got the longest ever sentence for a crime of this nature in the United States. I blame Trump. I blame his DOJ for this.
0: And, you know, Malcolm, let me bring you in here, because, you know, you know, I've talked a lot about Mm -hmm. the the Snowden case, and he is sort of a cause celeb for people who see themselves as civil civil libertarian, sort of, you know, purists. But the House Intelligence Report in 2016 found that the vast majority of the documents that Mr. Snowden stole really had nothing to do with programs impacting individual privacy interests. They instead pertained to the military defense and intelligence programs of great interest to America's adversaries. And he is now in Russia, where he has safe haven. And yet you've seen Republican lawmakers pushing the former president to pardon him. There have been a lot of people on the other side of the aisle also pushing for a pardon for him. Why do you suppose that reality story has not become the kind of cause celeb um, for those who care about, you know, information getting out that could help the public? This is helping expose our voting systems were were um, targeted.
5: Well, first, let me let me uh give my thanks to uh, miss Winner's mother uh, I know exactly where your daughter comes from I was cryptologic linguist she was a Persian linguist I was an Arabic linguist we went to the same schools the same training facilities I've been assigned to the same place that she was assigned at some points in her career uh, and when she became a civilian contractor you could understand the allure of wanting to go out there and make a significant impact in a very uh, important you know story of the day but on the other hand, Uh, What she did was wrong. She released classified information and there's a way to do this. Take a look at Colonel Alexander Vindman and others. Um, That's water under the bridge. But why the right wing has Edward Snowden as a cause celeb? That man's a straight up traitor. I mean, he literally exposed programs. I swore to die before I would ever release in the hands of our enemies. And he did it with such blithe spiritness. He joined the CIA and NSA with the intent to release this information. The uh, Person who released lots of classified information. There is a way for Miss Winter to get a pardon. She needs to show remorse, come out and expose, you know, what she did. We all know what that is. And to show that, in comparison, General Michael Flynn, the former director of Defense Intelligence Agency, was, I mean, was committing crimes that he admitted to the FBI. Put it in context. Uh, You know, there's a system out there now. There's a new president. And, uh, you know, it won't be considered a corrupt pardon if Reality Winner is released, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, I don't know, Steve Bannon.
0: Yeah. And, and is, is that something that you intend to do, um, Ms. Winter Davis? Do you do you intend to, to try to seek a pardon for your daughter? And do you are you hopeful that it could happen now that there is an administration that's actually sees Russia as an adversary and not as something to uh, aspire to uh, duplicate?
3: So right now, reality has a petition uh, for clemency on file, and that's pretty much what we're pushing right now. Just commute her sentence, let her out, She is suffering not only in a maximum security prison, but in a maximum security prison that is infected with COVID, and also they're in lockdown conditions. She is suffering, and I just want her home. I want her out. We can look at the idea of a pardon later on, but what I want right now is I want Joe Biden to look at her. She's no threat at all to society. Um, There is no reason to keep her locked away in prison at this time. And I just want for President Biden to look at her and to commute her sentence Mm -hmm. and bring her home.
0: Yeah, well, we hope that um, your daughter does get that opportunity to and that the Biden administration will take a second look at this case. Billy Winter Davis, Malcolm Nance, thank you both very much. And that is tonight's readout. Thank you all for watching.